Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chigo Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another Wednesday evening, this New Year's Eve. Great to have you with us. Um, it is Wednesday, so I have Bob Cross with me. So, Bob, great to have you with me another evening. Awesome to be here. Happy New Year. Thank you, Bob. Uh, it is Wednesday, so... Again, we will be talking about where Pope Francis is in the news, and we will be getting into joy of the gospel. Uh, today's subject matter uh, will have us looking at that overarching truth that we are all called to be missionary disciples. But first, what I thought we could do is uh, take up, again, where he is at in the news, um, what he is saying, uh, how the media is reporting it, and not to just hit the refresh button, Bob, on what we've been talking about over the last, you know, eight, nine, ten months now, but to look at what the mainstream media is saying, as well as, as we'll talk about this evening, what some of these religious news service outlets are saying, so as to gain a deeper insight, um, what is being missed, and, and why is it being missed? Uh, these are some of the questions that we need to be asking. So yes, uh, as we do from one week to the next, or every other week seemingly, there's clarification to be had. But a clarification that is not autonomous to applying it to our life, right? The importance of what we do here, hopefully, Bob, is for our listening audience to gain a deeper understanding of what Pope Francis actually says so that they can apply it to their life. It's just not, oh, okay, that's what he meant to say. No, 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 no. It's, wow. That's what Pope Francis wanted us to hear for me to be a better version of who God has called me to be, right? This is what it's about. And as we uh, have discovered of the past eight, nine, ten months, is as we talk about where he's at in the news, there is a seamlessness, if you will, to what we talk about in Joy of the Gospel. And again, I think this will apply uh, this evening. Now, that being said, uh, Bob, what did Pope Francis actually say approximately a week ago to the Curia? Uh, as it was being reported by a religious news service, in this case, Pope Francis had blistered, had scolded the Curia, portraying this picture that uh, Pope Francis was a kind of Scrooge, um, not in the Christmas spirit, if you will. Um, but in fact, as we have come to discover over recent months here on the radio program, uh, there is more than meets the eye if we don't actually read what he says. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, um, we've talked about it many times before, and it seems like it's a reoccurring theme that, um, you know, a lot of people, especially the news services, and they, it, we could get into a whole a whole dialogue about how that's changed um, over the years, but it's, it's news reporting is obviously much different today, and especially as it relates to Pope Francis. But, you know, um, this particular article... Um, reads this way. Pope Francis launched a blistering attack on the Vatican bureaucracy on Monday, December 22nd, outlining a catalog of illnesses that plague the church's central administration, including spiritual Alzheimer's and gossipy cliques. The Pope's traditional Christmas greeting to the cardinals, bishops, and priests who run the Holy See was more 
Bah humbug, then, holiday cheer as he ticked off a laundry list of ailments of the curia that he wants to cure. In a critique that left many of the assembled clerics clearly uncomfortable, the 15 ailments in Francis's catalog of illnesses reflected the take-no-prisoners approach he promised when he was elected nearly two years ago as an outsider with little direct experience in Rome. The Pope is an outsider with a take-no-prisoners approach. Don't hold back, RNS tells us, what you really feel. But seriously, did Francis's tone in speaking to the Curia actually <laughs> warrant such hyperbole? A Get Religion reader who read the full text of the Pope's address says no. So, again, this is a service reporting on the, uh, the news service who was saying that Pope Francis was scolding and was, was calling out all these, uh, these different clerics about uh, their, their illnesses, so to speak. So they ask, do reporters ever actually read Pope Francis's speeches, homilies, addresses themselves, or do they just rely on what someone else says about them and parrot that? I know most of the mainstream media is often tone-deaf to religion speak, it is obvious to me, though, that the Pope was speaking in a pastoral voice, the voice of a loving father. He even said to his brother bishops that what he was saying was for all of them, obviously, again, to me, exclusive, uh, exclusively of himself, as a preparation for an examination of conscience. So the text of Francis's address bears out that our reader's critique, especially taken within the context of his public statements during Advent, encapsulates the message that the Pope has been giving the entire church during Advent and indeed throughout his papacy, a message which, which does not fit the mainstream's media image of him as Mr. Who Am I to Judge. Among other things there, Bob, there are a couple of pieces that strike me. First and foremost, this phrase, Mr. Who Am I to Judge. You know, that moment in his papacy when he was in that airplane and he responded fairly to a question, who am I to judge, has been, I think, that one moment that has led so many people to believe something that is a great untruth about this papacy, that ultimately he's some radical pope who's, who's on a whim throwing 2,000 years of teaching out the door, right? Now, that this is not the case. But what's happened is, and, and the, the reason why Don Eden, Don Eden's the author of this piece that you're drawing from, right? The reason why Don Eden says, you know, Mr. Who Am I to Judge? It's because that really was the beginning for many people to look at this Pope differently. And the great tragedy of it is, it is a misinterpretation of what he actually said. We have gotten into that context. I'm not going to rehash all of that now. But it's interesting, and, and this is what really strikes me, how we allow an untruth about someone to gain momentum in how we think about that person. There's great folly in that, huh? You know, we, we rely on what we think we know. You know, what, what is that great Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5? Do not rely on what you think you know. We rely on what we think we know far too often, as opposed to actually getting into what he actually said. huh? And when we don't do that, then um, in the case of Pope Francis, this momentum kind of carries itself. And <laughs> the mainstream media helps us out in carrying uh, this false opinion of this man we've been talking about. This is why we draw back on this radio program to clarify so as to gain insight into what he does say. Uh, so it's very interesting. And, and the other piece really is tied 
to this whole momentum thing because Don Eden said it. If we read his homilies, if we read his addresses, if we read his interviews, and we read them within the context to what he was talking about, we would have a, not only a deeper understanding of his message, but it would help alleviate some of that tension that seemingly abides um, with some of us as it relates to Pope Francis. So we need to be, I think, more versed in what he actually says, and certainly this is what Don Eden points to. Again, we've talked about it before, but here you have two different people writing about the same speech, mm -hmm. and two people having entirely different perspectives <clears throat> on the same speech. Yep. You know, one saying that, you know, Francis is scolding and calling out um, these these old men because of their illnesses and the bureaucratic, you know, problems that the church has. Um, and then the other person saying, you know, hey, as we'll, we'll get into this a little, little bit more, here's, here's a man who's calling us all to an examination of conscience. And, you know, this, this Pope is all about, you know, penance, mm -hmm. about the sacrament of confession. Yes. And he himself, you know, puts him in the same category as the rest of us that we need to look at ourselves. So he's speaking to his brother bishops, his brother clergy, and himself included. And this is the perspective, again, of, of the person who actually knows yes. and has read some of yes. the homilies yes. and some yes. of the other speeches. It's, it's the formation yeah. I was talking about. Yeah. When you follow this papacy, these words make sense. Uh, when you follow his papacy and you read this religious news service outlet reporting that he was just Pope Scrooge, uh, <laughs> that's, it, it's just false reporting. Right, and it's, it's just striking. It really is. <clears throat> and, it, you know, this, this other, the, the person's perspective, who, you know, with Don Eden, now what does one do before making sacramental confession? Uh, religion reporters specializing in Catholic issues should know this. One makes an examination of conscience. In his Christmas message to the Curia, Pope Francis, who so often asks others to pray for him, was doing just that. What is more, as our readers observe, and as religious news service ignored, his speech bears this out. He included himself among those in need of an examination of conscience. He even began by asking forgiveness. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily the perspective of somebody who's scolding and who's looking down on everyone else as the way that religious news service was trying to portray it. Yeah, and it's really interesting here uh, what he actually says, Bob, just looking down at the article. I'm going to go ahead and read this. This is really striking when you just read his words. He says this, "...together with you, I wish to elevate to the Lord a heartfelt and profound gratitude for the year we are leaving behind, for the events lived, and for all the good that He willed generously to fulfill through the service of His Holy See." asking him humbly for forgiveness for the faults committed in thoughts, words, deeds, and omissions. And in fact, beginning from this request for forgiveness, I would like our meeting and the reflections that I will share with you to become, for us all, there it is, for us all, a support and stimulus to a true examination of conscience to prepare our hearts for Holy Christmas. The Curia is called to improve itself, to improve itself always, and to grow in communion, holiness, and wisdom, to realize its mission fully. However, it, like everybody, like every human body, there it is again, Bob, huh? <laughs> is also exposed to sicknesses, to malfunctioning, and to infirmity. And here I'd like to mention some of these probable illnesses 
curial illnesses, they are the more usual illnesses in our life of curia. They are sicknesses and temptations that weaken our service to the Lord. I think a catalog of illnesses will help us, following the way of the Desert Fathers who made those catalogs of which we speak today. It will help us to prepare ourselves for the Sacrament of Reconciliation, which will be a good step for us all to prepare ourselves for Christmas. Um, There are his words. So clearly there, (laughs) Pope Francis addresses the need for curia reform, this kind of spiritual reform. But as he's talking about this, he at the same time speaks to the universality of this call that we all have to examine our conscience, huh? to examine the way in which we look at power, prestige, pleasure, uh, self-esteem, how people think about us. These are some of the illnesses that he speaks to. Uh, so, um, and it's, isn't it interesting, Bob, that he speaks to the Desert Fathers, uh, the great insights that come to us from uh, the great ancient Christian thinkers and how they helped draw up ways to better our spiritual life. Very important. And how could we not speak to the examination of conscience? <laughs> I mean, paragraphs 119 to 121 in Joy of the Gospel, as I noted off the top, Bob, highlights this call that we are all missionary disciples. And if we are all missionary disciples, then we all have this call to examine our conscience. Um, Traditionally speaking, an examination of conscience is when, at the end of the day, you are reflecting back on all of your encounters, and you're asking, you know, those heartfelt questions to God, uh, what was the good and bad in that encounter? How could have I done better? What are the areas of my life I need to be working on? What are, the, what are my good habits, bad habits? It's essentially going before God and allowing God to critique you in your own conscience. Uh, and this is very important. And um, in light of that, uh, let us jump into paragraphs 119 to 121, because out from Uh, our opening piece on Pope Francis, we really are made to see that the Christian life of discipleship, the Christian life of being in God for other, is for all people, just as his Christmas address was uh, to the Curia. All right, I'll go ahead and read here, Bob, Uh, and this section again is, is entitled, We Are All Missionary Disciples. He says this, "...in all the baptized, from first to last..." The sanctifying power of the Spirit is at work, impelling us to evangelization. Uh, So off the top there, he's highlighting this gift that we've been given in baptism, the sanctifying power, the the hagiazo in the Greek, that to be set apart, uh, the Greek rendering of St. Paul's sanctified in Jesus Christ is hagiazo, Uh, He uses that term for us to see that where in the Old Testament things were set apart for worship, in the New Testament people are set apart for worship, all right? And this is what Pope Francis is highlighting, right? We are are set aside for worship. We are made for worship, and out from that worship we are compelled to evangelize. And this is what lies at the heart of our great vocation, in God uh, for others. So Pope Francis goes on to say, The Spirit guides us in truth and leads us to salvation. As part of His mysterious love for humanity, I like this phrase, God furnishes the totality 
of the faithful with an instinct of faith. Okay, so what Pope Francis wants us to see is that in this gift of faith, we are given the capacity to truly discern what belongs to God. This again brings us back to the examination of conscience. We can actually discern where God is in each and every moment. He goes on to say that the presence of the Holy Spirit gives us this great gift of wisdom, which enables us to grasp uh, these realities of God intuitively. Okay, the word wisdom is very important here. Insight, right? Earlier I was talking about the do not rely on what you think you know, (laughs) right? No, but we must always on bended knee ask God, what is the deeper truth in this moment? That's wisdom. You know, Bob, we have talked about on a number of occasions on this radio program the distinction between intellect and wisdom, right? These are not one and the same thing. I can have knowledge about a lot of things, but that doesn't give me wisdom about things, right? Because wisdom about things is what lies on the inside or on the other side, if you will, okay? Yes, it's important to have knowledge, And Pope Francis talks about that, to be able to see what is objectively good, what is objectively real. But wisdom is always the deeper truth. It allows us to see the ways in which God works unconventionally, right? Wisdom looks at the cross and says, oh, happy fault. Wisdom looks at each and every situation and sees it for what it is versus what it is not. For illustration, let us take the temptation narrative, okay? It's to remember, Satan has supreme intellect, but he has no wisdom. Satan looks at Christ not eating or drinking for 40 days and 40 nights, and he seizes that moment because on the outside he looks weak. But what he doesn't know is what he couldn't gain because he doesn't have knees. Huh? He doesn't realize that disciplining his flesh has made him stronger to overcome those temptations. He doesn't see that because he doesn't see the interior life, okay? He doesn't see wisdom. And this is the gift that God gives to us so as to see the ways in which God works in our life intuitively. Sure, and you know, it's um, it's so wonderful to, to just, you know, sort of digest when he uses words like instinct or intuitive in relationship to the Holy Spirit. Um, because if you're in faith and if you're in prayer in relationship with God, um, there is an intuitiveness. There, there, there becomes an instinctive means of being able to look at things from a different point of view, as you just noted. Uh, the difference between looking at it from Satan's point of view or from the Holy Spirit's point of view in terms of hunger. Um, one side sees hunger, the other side sees fasting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because there's that intuition, there's that instinct, that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's so funny. I mean, we, here we are talking about, you know, the writings of Pope Francis, and here we are, he's talking about all of us being, eva- in, being involved with evangelization here in paragraph 119. Mm-hmm. Every week, as we, we talk about the mainstream media, not to go back, not to digress, but... You know, this speaks loudly of what we were just talking about that's in the news. He's using himself and every one of us as an example of examination of conscience. It's right here in his writings, you know, that we are evangelization and we are to be with, you know, involved or we are to be immersed into the Holy Spirit. And 
how better way to do that than with an examination of conscience? Because the Holy Spirit calls us to do that. It is worth reinforcing the, the essence of what we are talking about right now in paragraph 119, and ultimately where he goes in paragraph 120, 121, uh, is for us to understand that if we're going to be able to see the stuff of God, uh, if we're going to be able to intuit, then we have to be examining our conscience. Um, because in doing so, we are then uh, recollecting, uh, which in turn allows us to see the ways, Bob, in which uh, God works unconventionally. Um, th this is what really lies behind uh, some of our discussion right now, and certainly it's something that has emerged in uh, the papacy of Pope Francis. It's very easy for us to read something on the surface, but we have to ask the question, what is Pope Francis after? What is he saying? What does he want us to see? Uh, what is he communicating about uh, divine revelation? What is he communicating about the relationship between church and state? What is he communicating, and so on and so forth? We are not going to be able to grasp that if we are not in a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, again, his point here is, all of us, by virtue of our baptism, are called to this. So, very important. And, you know, paragraph 120, I think this sentence here strikes to the core of what this whole subsection is about. Every Christian is a missionary to the extent that he or she has encountered the love of God in Christ Jesus. We no longer say that we are disciples and missionaries, but rather that we are always missionary disciples. Okay, again, every encounter points to Christ. If we have in fact been gripped by that personal encounter with Jesus Christ, what we then see is that our vocation, our joy, is that we are missionary disciples. Um, these two words uh, belong together, and when you put them together, what it highlights is the totality of this call. And by that I mean 24-7, 365, around the clock, we need to be thinking about First, our relationship with Jesus Christ and how all of our encounters point to Christ, and that no one is immune from this vocation. <laughs> no one is to be removed from this vocation. He says in another sentence, Bob, it would be insufficient to envision a plan of evangelization to be carried out by professionals while the rest of the faithful would simply be passive recipients. No. No, we are all called. So he says at the close of paragraph 120, what are we waiting for? You know, Bob, one of the things we have to be on guard against is that spirit of complacency. We've talked a little bit about it in relationship to joy of the gospel, right? Because the infusion that is the grace of God is our joy, right? So if we are living in this joy, what are we waiting for? why would we be complacent? Uh, we need to be active. We need to be out there. Um, if we've encountered Jesus Christ and His saving love, then certainly this is what we want to share in every way possible. You know, he goes on here in this paragraph 120 to highlight some scripture passages. Certainly uh, among those is the narrative of the Samaritan woman, which, oh, by the way, is the longest gospel narrative that we have. 
this exchange between Christ and the Samaritan woman. What's so significant about that is the revelation that He is the Messiah. He is Lord. He is just not a rabbi. He is just not another teacher. He is Lord. And out from this personal encounter, does she what? <laughs> does she want to go tell everyone about it? The Samaritan woman uh, doesn't have a PhD. The Samaritan woman isn't some uh, professional scholar. The Samaritan woman isn't someone necessarily who's, who's versed in Old Testament scriptures. But the Samaritan woman is someone who had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And out from that counter encounter, she wants to share the love of Jesus Christ. And our, what does our Lord say? Well, not yet, not yet. Well, of course, she's going to go. Sure. It, it's, when you encounter Jesus Christ, there's a kind of explosion, a kind of dynamite-like explosion that comes out from, from it. And this, this is something that God has for everyone, no matter who you are, no matter who you are. Well, <clears throat> one other you know, sentence in there that that also talks directly to each and every one of us. He says that the new evangelization calls for personal involvement on the part of each of the baptized. <clears throat> and I can't help but think again that as he's calling out the curia, or he's making examples of them about you know the illnesses that we all suffer from and you know are called as baptized to be a new evangelizers, is that you know he uses himself and those around him closely as examples for the rest of us. You know, it's just like the coach's son. He always is like, you know, the one that has to work a little bit harder yeah, and has yeah. to, you know, be the one that, you know, you use an example so that the rest of the team understands what their role is really mm -hmm. supposed to yeah. be. And, you know, as you read the way that he writes here in his exhortation, it becomes pretty obvious why he says the things that he says in his speeches. Mm -hmm. You know, Bob, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, the coach and the coach's son. I like that image, because while we've talked about how Pope Francis included himself, and even in some of his language and words, he was generalizing it really for all people to embrace uh, these illnesses, he was speaking to a specific body of people in a very specific place and time. And uh, he is doing so because he understands as much as anyone else, the importance of example. You know, Pope Francis takes the name Francis because St. Francis was a saint for all ages because of the ways in which he embodied the very spirituality of Christ himself, right? So he challenges, he challenges himself to live up to the name St. Francis of Assisi and how it points to Christ, and at the same time, call out those closest to him, those who are the leaders of the church, to embrace the deeper gospel message, to be of the poor for the poor at all costs. And he's saying to them, these are the things that get in the way of this. These are the illnesses. And yes, we apply them to our own life because it is the gospel message. But yeah, like a coach to a son, <laughs> from pope to bishop to cardinal, hey, look at what you're doing because people are watching. And not only for the example, but ultimately in the end, so that these men would be renewed in their relationship with God. All right, with that, let's close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, 
is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.